Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Dialogue Between the Lines. I'm Joshua Graham with our lovely co-host, Susan Wingate. How are Hello. you, Susan? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm having just an absolute wonderful time this morning, having an um, just exciting morning so far. So um, just great, though. Everything's wonderful. It couldn't be better. That's great, and we've got a really exciting show, and um, today we have international best-selling author, one of the co-creators of the Left Behind series, Jerry Jenkins, and he's, I would say, probably the the biggest name Christian fiction writer, and he's got so many other credits to his name as well, and um, I believe we actually have him on the line, so uh, rather than keep him waiting for a very long time, uh, we'll probably just get him on the line pretty soon, and then we'll... And then we'll do all our talking after uh, after our, our guest has uh, finished his segment. Does that sound good? Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, without further ado, we would like to uh, welcome, uh, we would like to welcome Mr. Jenkins. Uh, this is Joshua Graham and Susan Wingate. Uh, good morning, Mr. Jenkins. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so oh, much for joining us. We're, yeah, we're so honored to have you with us. Um, how are you today? Doing great. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here in Colorado Springs and... Uh, just looking forward to talking with you. Okay. Wonderful. Well, you've been really busy, I can see, with your itinerary. And um, looking at your itinerary, you, is it true you've just uh, been on live uh, on Dr. Dobson's show, isn't that right? Yeah, the first two uh, two days of this week we were on uh, talking about uh, the, my book, Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It. And uh, uh, that's always been a, a topic close to Dr. Dobson's heart, of course, and uh, with his interest in family. So uh, that was a great time. And is is that focused on marriage or uh, just family in general? It's focused on marriage, and it's uh, it's basically uh, about planting hedges around your heart and your mind and your eyes and your hands, and and saying, you know, I'm going to to set up some policies, some things in advance of of temptation, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, rules. That uh, an example is something that Billy Graham has done for years, where he he wouldn't travel or dine or meet with another woman alone um, anywhere. You know, I mean, he would always have some a staff member with him. or And he said it wasn't because he thought that there, it would result in some scandal, but that just to avoid any appearance. Um, and uh, he said if you take care of how things look, you take care of how things are. And uh, so little hedges like that. And and uh, the point I always like to make in that uh, on that score is that my hedges won't necessarily be your hedges. You know, I, I plant hedges where I feel like I might have an issue or a temptation, and you you'd have your own hedges for your own you know your own weaknesses and weak areas well, that's fantastic um so basically hedges are sort of like principles that we set up for ourselves to even to stay like above reproach i, I suppose and um and i I find that very interesting because you're you're absolutely right that everybody has different hedges that they need to to plant uh, to put to shield themselves and distance themselves from temptation or even the appearance of anything um like that and i I found that often even after I've done my own self evaluation I need to pray 
and have the Holy Spirit, you know, reveal to me things I didn't even, you know, realize that to dig them out and say, hey, this is another area that could be a potential weakness. Um, so now, does your book, uh, or does this topic, uh, it, it's not just for, like, husbands, it's for husbands and wives, is that right? It is for both, but um, one thing I tried to stipulate early on in the in the book is that uh, um, I'm writing, I'm a man writing, you know, basically about men, and, uh, and there are books for women on the same subject. There was one years ago called The Snare, written by a friend of mine. But um, what I found is that um, the book is so revealing about the way men think that I get a lot of letters from women saying, "I'm glad I read this," and I and you know they bought it for their husband or they wanted to share it with him or whatever, and they said, "We want to plant our own hedges," you know, as as women, um, things that we won't do or things that you know maybe you know by the same token. Um, a wife shouldn't be meeting or traveling or dining with a, a man who's not related to her uh, alone. You can always bring somebody else, and, and uh, uh, just, it just avoids the appearance of evil. It avoids uh, anything you know happening that shouldn't happen and that type of thing. And, and uh, there are lots of biblical reasons to set hedges and to, to plant hedges and to, to protect yourself from that kind of thing. Um, I I do. You know, I'm not. I'm not a marriage counselor, but because I wrote that book, I sometimes uh, talk to couples, and and uh, I find it interesting. I I, I always say that that a, a spouse's sense of security in your um, you know your pledge to be committed to her or to him so solely uh, is your responsibility. If mm. they're feeling jealous or unsure. Uh, that's your responsibility to say, look, I never meet, dine, or travel with somebody of the opposite sex. I never do this. I never do that. And so you can rest assured that, that everything's good. Some say, well, she's so paranoid or she's so jealous or she's so suspicious. That's your responsibility. Fix that so that there's no reason to be. Absolutely. That's beautiful. And um, this is Susan Wingate, Mr. Jenkins. Thank you again for being on our show. Um, sure. For those that are listening, thank you, yes. Um, for those that are listening, this is um, Susan Wingate with Dialogue Between the Lines with my co-host, Joshua Graham. We have as our guest today Jerry Jenkins, the author of best-selling um, novel, a series of novels, um, the Left Behind series. Um, first of all, this isn't my first question, but it's a comment. My sister, Elizabeth, loves your books. I had to say that. I told her I, I promised her that I would tell you tell you that and she wanted me to tell you that she's read all of the left behind series so anyway that that wasn't my first question this is my first question um when did you realize you wanted to become a writer you know i was a teenager and i i was uh, a baseball player and thought i wanted to be a big league baseball player but i got i got injured playing sports in high school as a freshman and um uh, to stay close to the sports scene i started uh sports writing and uh, for the school paper and and uh, almost immediately realized that I found my niche. I wasn't any good at it yet. I was still a kid and, and had a lot to learn, but I had a kind of a knack for it. And I talked my way into a, a what, what we call in the newspaper business a stringing job. And a stringer is a, a person who takes one certain beat uh, part-time. It's their specialty. You might have a stringer that covers the city council or a stringer that covers um, men's events or something like that. And I, I was a high school sports writer Stringer for a local paper, and you know, as I say, I was a freshman in high school, so I was 14 years old, too young to drive. My parents would have to drive me to the ball games and and then drive me to the newspaper office to so I could write my story. But I've, you know, they paid me a dollar per published inch, and so I I always say I've been a professional writer since I was 14 and never looked back. Wow. 
Oh wow, isn't that amazing? So that explains your um your nonfiction books, the emphasis on, on um sports figures like Hank Aaron, which is incredible, um, Oral Hershiser, Joe Joe Gibbs, one of my favorites, Mike Mike Singletary, who I absolutely adore. I think he's one of the best football players out there. Well, at least he when he was playing he was. Um he's still playing, isn't he? He's a coach. Or did he? He is. That's right. That's right. And who did he? Who is he coaching for right now? He well, actually, he was a coach. He he um, he was coach of the San Francisco Forty ers I think the last three years. And uh, uh, I'm not sure where he it's, went from there. He's yeah. I just love him. I love his eyes. They're so intense. Um, and then and but you have um, one of my favorites. Um, your nonfiction book called Sweetness about Walter Payton, and I was wondering, um, his life was filled with incredible success in football, but then, tragically, he got cancer and died at a fairly young age. And I was just wondering, at what point in Walter Payton's life did you become involved with him and write this book? Well, that was one of those that uh, um, I'm pretty proud of because um, I was a young you know, writer and had written several books and... and uh, had written books with Dick Mata, the former coach of the Chicago Bulls, and Pat Williams, the general manager, and and had done the Aaron book. And um, I was living in the Chicago area and following the Bears, and could see this young phenom, you know, Walter Payton. This first year or two were just incredible. And I thought, I want to jump on this before everybody else does. And so I, I just, uh, it took me about nine months to track him down, find his agent, um, you know, get a publisher, and and uh to commit to it and uh and part of that I, I used to teach young writers that just never give up because you know for so long I got no re- no response no phone calls back no letters back anything like that and I just kept at it because I wanted I, I I decided I at least want them to tell me no uh yeah. something anything and finally uh, just sort of out of the blue the agent calls and says uh, so are you still interested in doing this and I said yes and he said well go ahead and get a publisher and talk to us and and uh, so we did. And uh, so Walter was probably four or five years into his career at that point and uh, was, was still young and fresh and, and funny. And it was just a great experience to to interview him for days and, and uh, write the book from his standpoint. It was uh, he, he was something special. That's great. Um, you know, I was, as you were mentioning about uh, your advice to young writers, uh, it made me think about the Christian Writers Guild, and uh, which uh, I guess you founded and uh, and, and your organization. Um, I actually am a former student, as, as I probably expressed to you in the email before. Uh, it's a wonderful program. It introduced me to wonderful resources. Um, some of the books that in the curriculum really shaped me as a writer. Uh, like Stein on Writing or Fiction Writing Demystified and many of the other um, compulsory books that you, that students had to read. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the, this program and how it began? Yeah, actually it was founded by Norm Rohr back in the in the oh. 60s. And uh, and I, he's an old friend of mine and I had followed him. Uh, he used to, to do this all by himself. He had about 400 students that he taught by mail. And uh, they would send him his their their lessons and he would hand write or type you know his responses and send them back and uh, I remember telling Norm probably back in the 70s that someday I'd love to, to work with him on it or do something like that because I liked to teach writing but uh, I was so busy with my own writing career and it was hard to get to all the conferences and when he got into his 70s uh, he, he called me and he said you know I'm, I'd like to get out from under the, the day-to-day grind of this and the business part of it and and uh, so we arranged a, a purchase and and uh, 
I bought the guild from Norman, kept him on as dean of instruction for a few years, uh, and then tried to reproduce him. I, I, I have mentors all over the country, 40 or 50 of them, and, and I want them to be pastoral like Norm. I want them to be widely published and, and able to edit and to help coach and that type of thing. And that's the uniqueness of the, of the guild. We rewrote the courses. We added courses. I put a lot of money into advertising to really get it to, to grow. And um, the uniqueness of uh, when somebody signs up for a course at ChristianWritersGuild.com, they get their own personal mentor who walks them through the course and, and uh, teaches them with every lesson. So uh, we're really thrilled to be able to do that. And it's a, it's a great program. So I, for our, many of our listeners are um, aspiring writers, and I would highly recommend it, uh, being a former student myself. So it, it certainly set me on my course. So um, I guess it's a little late in coming, but I just wanted to thank you for uh, making that possible for me. Um, now, you mentioned uh, a lot of the different things that kept you busy as a writer. Uh, as I was looking through your bio, it was just such an impressive array of accomplishments and, and uh, credits. Um, and what I found is that uh, you are former editor of Moody Magazine and vice president for publishing, and now you're the chairman of the board of trustees for Moody Bible Institute. And that, I find that very interesting because when I was in elementary school some 35 years ago or more, my father, who is a pastor, actually enrolled my brother and I in Moody Bible Institute's correspondence courses, and um, it's not what every kid does, but I really enjoyed learning about the Bible at a very young age. So you've had a long relationship with Moody. Um, did it play a significant role in your career as a writer of fiction or, or, or just a writer in general? Well, it, in many ways it did. I I, uh, I was a 17-year-old freshman uh, at Moody back in 1967, um, and uh, spent a year as a student there. Always loved the place. Uh, came back in '74 uh, when I was uh, had, t- had just turned 25 and was editor of Moody Magazine. Then became a publisher at Moody Press, the book publishing arm, and eventually vice president for publishing. And worked there more than 30 years. And uh, was always writing on the side. But all that editing and and uh, uh, training and publishing there really informed my my writing career. And I went. To, uh, I, I went full-time freelance in 1990 or so, but I still remained associated with Moody as writer-in-residence and always represented them and then uh, joined the board in, in 2000. Um, and uh, interestingly, I, the, the president of Moody just was just in my office here in Colorado Springs. He's in town for an alumni meeting tonight, so we were doing some business. And, and uh, it's just, uh, it, I, I consider it my proudest association and, and just a privilege to be able to serve there. They're, they're so single-minded. It's... it's uh, you know, Christ is preeminent. The Bible is is central, and and uh, they've not wavered from their their doctrine and their mission of of evangelism and and uh, and reaching the world for. You know, we're in our 125th year, and so I'm 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 thrilled to be associated with Moody. Oh wow, that is wonderful. That's uh, quite a long stint of um, success with as for Moody Publishing, and um, you're correct. I mean, there is no other goal except praising the Lord. So um, that's a wonderful thing that you just said about them. Um, I wanted to ask you about being a Christian author, writing Christian category books. And I'm I'm wondering if you've had any challenges along the way that you would like to talk with our listeners. And, and most of our listeners are writers or em- emergent writers. So um, speak toward that, if you would. Well, one of the things that's, that I think is unique to me is that um, 
I, I don't do anything else. I mean, I, it might sound like false modesty to, to say I don't have any other gifts, but I, I don't sing or dance or preach. I mean, writing is what I do, and and um, people, you know, they hear that I've had 176 books published, and they go, you know, I haven't even read that in many books, you know, and well, neither have I. But um, I, I just felt that, you know, I, I, I admire people who are called to preach or called to teach and speak and that type of thing, and and some of that comes with the territory. I have to do a lot of speaking, and and through the guild, I try to teach. But um, the reason that I'm still writing and uh, and, and feel obligated to exercise that gift is because it, I think it's the only one I've got, and so um, so I rarely say no. Um, I mean, I, there there were years when I was writing five books a year because that's what I do, and and if somebody yeah. had a project or an assignment, and then I I was your guy, and. Um, Fortunately, with the Left Behind success, I'm able to to write what I want, do what I want, and so uh, I can choose projects. And uh, I'm I'm involved in a very interesting one coming up. I don't know if you remember that at that at that famous uh, shooting back in January in Arizona, where the representative yeah. Giffords was was shot. There was yeah. a little girl little girl there who was was born on 911 of 01, and was mm-hmm. killed right. in, that, in that shooting. And um, yes. Next week I'll go to Arizona, interview her parents, and, and I'm going to be writing that book. So um, I still do a, a little bit of nonfiction when it's really interesting, and, and uh, I can't wait to, to hear the, the whole story there. Well, congratulations on that. That was a very touching story. I read that and just felt so much empathy for the the, the family. And, um, and I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, and so I have connections, of course, in Arizona and a uh, very good friend of mine, um, Bob Rosenberg, it, what is a very close um, uh, friend of uh, Ms. Gifford, Senator Gifford. So, um, so it was very, you know, it was in my face. I heard a lot about it, and uh, when I read that story about the little girl, it, it was just so sad. So I'm, I'm happy it's in your capable hands, and um, what an honor for their family, um, and, and I'm assuming an honor for you to meet them. Um, as a as a Christian author, conversely, as a Christian author, um, what are some of well that would have to be one of the highlights. So I was going to ask that, uh, what would be your favorite experiences. Um, that would have to be one of them. That's a future experience. Um, what have been some of your past favorite experiences? Well, the the absolute highlight of my career, in my opinion, is the was the the privilege of assisting Billy Graham with his memoirs. Um, oh wow! It was just uh, you know everything you can imagine um i mean he's the same behind closed doors as he is in public truly humble servant mm-hmm. and uh, uh yeah that was that was uh, it's hard to to match um that experience and uh, so i'll always treasure that i can imagine i mean what it, what a an icon and patriarch of our faith uh if we if we can loosely use that term, uh, but uh, yes, uh, Billy Graham is a person that uh, I, I many of us grew up uh, either hearing in person in the stadiums or or watching it in TV. And I remember one he was here in San Diego at uh, Qualcomm Stadium, and we went to one of his um, big, big meetings. And of course, he has the altar call at the end. And I, I remember standing there with my wife. We hadn't had any children yet, but we were already believers for many years at the time. But we stood up and prayed as as many people were giving their their lives to Christ at that moment, and they were just flooding in in droves to the to the front of the of the stage to be prayed over. And I just remember turning to my wife and and just uh, saying, 
what an awesome moment. Look at all these like hundreds, maybe thousands of people who have just made a, a, a decision that will have eternal ramifications. And so I, I totally, I can only imagine, maybe only vicariously through hearing you talk about uh, what an honor it must have been to, to do something like that with uh, Mr. Graham. Um, and so it, it kind of reminds me of the next question I wanted to ask you because you're, it's sort of like life's work. Uh, in your bio, it states that your book, Riven, uh, which was published uh, about three years ago, uh, says that you consider that to be your last work, and it's already been optioned for a movie. Um, can you tell us a bit about how that uh, about the book and how you know you feel that this is uh, represents your life's work? Well, I I considered it uh, sort of my my magnum opus, if a novelist can have one of those. Um, and the reason is that. I usually can tell whether a fiction idea has legs if it stays with me a long time. I'll, I'll get an idea, uh, I'll usually combine it with another one, see if it, it works around in my head to, to make a story, and I'll start telling the story to my wife or to my grown sons, and, and uh, if I then forget about it and don't bring it up again and don't keep embellishing it, then I realize, well, if I can forget it, then the reader will probably forget it, and mm-hmm. not, so so who cares? But uh, this one... Uh, I, I got an unusual idea one time. I was uh, um, I was at a Christian retreat, but it was held at a uh, a Catholic retreat center, and and I had never, uh, you know, being a Protestant, and I had always had sort of a glib view of the difference between Christ between uh, you know evangelicals and Protestants. I mean Protestants and Catholics, and I and I uh, I was. Uh, I would always say, well, we we worship the Christ of the empty tomb, and they seem to worship the the Christ on the cross because the the crucifixes and that type of thing. And I realized that was kind of a limited view and and not too informed. But in in the room where I was staying, there was a crucifix on the wall, and I had never really studied one before. I'd seen them from a distance. And and so I just took a look at that thing, and I realized that our Catholic friends do not hide the horror of the actual crucifixion itself. Uh, sometimes in our paintings and, and depictions, there's a certain beauty to it, and and uh, obviously it was a beautiful act of sacrifice. But there was nothing beautiful about the the experience itself. And mm-hmm. and uh, I looked down there, I could see the thorns, I could see the blood, I could see the protruding ribs, I could see the riven side. That's where the title came from, riven, uh, the mm-hmm. spikes and that type of thing. And and so that kind of stayed with me. And then. For some reason, and, and I don't know how this happens, but you're reading something that's totally disparate from that first, you know, and, and there wasn't any novel idea there. It was just an impression that had had, had struck me. But I was reading a, a history of the famous um, execution of Gary Gilmore. This guy, I think he was executed in Utah, and he got to choose his method of execution between hanging, um, uh, shooting, firing squad, and uh, and lethal injection and so and I thought well if it was me I would choose the lethal injection you go to sleep you die and that's it he chose a firing squad for some reason and, and nobody was quite sure why and and all of a sudden that crucifixion that crucifix came back to me and I thought what if somebody today chose crucifixion as their method of execution not no. to pay not to pay for their sin not to, to atone but to just to because they'd come to, to faith and, and they want to show people what Christ went through physically on the cross. Well, that idea stayed with me, and I started getting character ideas and telling my wife, telling my kids, talk, talking to friends about it. And then in the middle of all that came the Left Behind series and some other stuff, and and, and so I had this idea for over 20 years and, and oh, wow. couldn't get to it. And finally the day came when when 
uh, Tyndale Haas agreed it was time to to do Riven, and and uh, it just sort of gushed from me. And and uh, it's the longest thing I've ever written. So if you don't like it, the the book serves as a nice doorstop. Um, <laughs> but but it's it, I, I was happy with the way the story came out. I was happy with the cover and the title and all that stuff that Tyndale did for it. And and so that's that's why I consider it sort of my my life's work is it's it's the one idea that stayed with me the longest and and uh and i was happy with how it came out what a awesome feeling that must have been to finally um get to the place where you can tell the story and perhaps you know we can speculate that god orchestrated your life just so that you could write it at the right time of your life um but um you also have coming up uh being uh, art that's been published by putnam praise the uh, Jesus Chronicles, and that's fascinating because from what I've read, it's based on the four Gospels. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, when Dr. Hay and I finished the uh, the Left Behind series, we talked about w- what we wanted to do next, and one of the things that I was always impressed with with Dr. Hay was that he always said that his um, uh, that no matter what he he wrote about or thought about, whether it's in fiction or nonfiction or prophecy or you know family stuff, marriage stuff. He said, "Really, it all comes down to Jesus. I'm writing about Jesus, and um, that that stuck with me too." And I said, uh, "I said, well, since we've written about the future, why don't we write about the past? Why don't we go back to the first century and and write fiction based on the the Gospels?" And he really liked that idea, and uh, so that's really what those what those books are. Um, you know, Matthew's story is is uh, the story of of Levi, who's raised as a uh, clearly, with the name Levi, he was raised to be a priest, and and somehow becomes the opposite. And not only is he not religious or or uh, devout Jew anymore, he's uh, he works for Rome and he collects taxes. He's the scum of the earth. He's hated by everybody and dishonest and all that type of thing. And uh, so I started thinking. Uh, people say, well, you know, you don't want to turn scripture into fiction, and and that's true. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to waver from what the Bible says about uh, these people and and uh, and the life of Christ. But in fiction, you're allowed to 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 wonder and to say what if and and to to ask the question, what was it that changed Levi from being uh, a priest candidate to being you know the opposite, and then you know become converted and and uh, and become a follower of Christ. And I was in Israel doing uh, research and and uh, and I was on a tour of, of the Holy Land, and the tour guide was talking about how King Herod, we, we were visiting where, one of his summer palaces where he would escape to when he wanted to break, and, the, and he, he told the story of the slaughter of the innocents. You remember the famous story when when Herod heard that there was a baby coming as a messiah and, and a new king, and he was so jealous that he had the, anybody under two years old, any two-year-old males, uh, murdered, and it just washed over me. What if Matthew had a younger brother who was a victim of the slaughter of the innocents? Wouldn't that change you from wanting to be a priest and a follower of God to becoming anything but that? And so that became the the plot of uh, of Matthew's story. And uh, and then anything else in the book of Matthew that was that was suggestive, if they talked about the feeding of the five thousand. Um, I would I would invent a name for the for the boy and a conversation that he might have had with his mother before he went there and and um, um, you know just able to flesh out those stories and and uh, give people sort of a what if experience that maybe this is how it looked and what happened. Hmm. Wow, that's great. That is that is that is great, and that's an exciting premise for um, for 
one book is is it going to follow in the other three actually actually all four are done we have matthew's story mark's story luke's story and john's story and uh, and are they all in the same premise of the of the of the younger son that has been slaughtered in no that that, that was only the the matthew story Fourth. and then with uh with mark um i start with mark as um the son of of slaves who work for Theophilus because uh, no, I guess that's Luke. That's Luke's story. And, and if you notice, Luke always wrote um, to Theophilus, who who was uh, apparently a mentor or something. And so I just speculate that uh, that Luke was uh, from a slave family and and uh, uh, tell his history of when he met Paul and and uh, so that it just gives you a lot. There's quite a canvas for the for the novelist to work with. Um, with with John's story, um, you know, I'm basically talking about how he met Jesus and and uh, and what happened as he traveled with him and, and saw the miracles and that type of thing. And and even uh, we we take John to the later in his life where uh, the Gnostics are coming in and and saying that uh, everything people are saying about Jesus isn't really true. And John, in great uh, uh, rage, says, you know, because he was considered. Jesus called him and his brother James uh, the sons of thunder, so they had uh, anger issues. <laughs> and uh, he said, "He said, how dare you tell me what what Jesus was about? I was there. I saw it. That, well, these aren't just yeah. stories. This this actually happened." And so, great fun to do those do those books and kind of flesh out the characters. Oh, I bet it was wonderful. Um, just reading your website and and people that are listening uh, right now, um, the website is www. JerryJenkins.com. That's J-E-R-R-Y-J-E-N-K-I-N-S.com. And just reading that website is so inspirational. So thank you for that. And 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 in particular, I loved your um, frequently asked questions portion of your site. At first, I thought I might glean a question or two for today's show, but instead, I just read it and became filled with joy. It's it's lovely there. So um, anybody that just wants, it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, okay, here's my question. <laughs> I was wondering, you have so many books that have been become movies. You have four that you've listed on the on your website, and I, I was just wondering, you have written 176 books. You have four movies. You are actively um, interviewing, as you are with us today, and in front of the public and. And meeting with people, how do you have time to write anything? <laughs> well, I think people I find time. Yeah, people find time to do what they really want to do, and and I'm a great compartmentalizer. Some people, you know, I, I um, have colleagues in the in the Christian industry and the secular industry, and for instance, uh, Stephen King writes every day of the year except Christmas Day, so he's writing 365, oh. 364 days a year, probably 10 pages a day, something like that, and. And so people assume because I write so much that I must write every day, but I actually don't. Um, I, I have the Writers Guild. I also have Jenkins Entertainment, uh, the film company that my son runs for me, and and uh, doing a lot of media like we're doing today and, and the Moody business and all that. And so when it comes time to write a book and I've got a deadline, um, I go off to a, a place about 80 miles west of where I live. And it's, it's in the mountains, and I call it my cave. It's a pretty nice cave, but... Um, <laughs> Um, there, there. I only write, and and so um, I just decide how many pages a day I need to write to make my deadline. And I always make my deadlines, and and that's all I do there. So um, 
you know, when when the time comes, I just have to turn everything else off and and uh, get after it. That's such great advice um, to everyone, actually. Uh, who, who I want has, a cave. I, I want a cave too. I want his cave. Um, your 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 writing area, Mr. Jenkins, looks a heck of a lot different than mine. <laughs> I just want. <laughs> Well, it's a heck of a lot different than what I started with, too. I can remember sitting in uh, in our apartment, Diana's in my first apartment 40 years ago, and uh, I would have a, a piece of wood uh, stretched over two kitchen chairs, and I would sit on the couch with my typewriter on that board, and that was my that was my cave then. <laughs> oh, the dreaded typewriter, yes. And and I was wondering um, how how did how were you inspired to create this magical spot because it truly is and and for those of you that aren't aware of what we're talking about you need to go to his website jerryjenkins.com and look at this cave it's absolutely beautiful it's how, <laughs> what, oh it's a beautiful place um how did how did you create this what was what like i said what was your inspiration to create this magical place well after years of uh, of of work and and knowing what works for me um, I realized that I, I love to have a, a horseshoe style desk because I, you know, put the computer in the middle and then I've got all my resources to the left and right of that, uh, all within arm's length. And uh, uh, you know, being in Colorado, I love the mountains and uh, and scenery and that type of thing. So I made sure when we when we built that little building behind our our home uh, in the in the middle of the state there, that uh, I had uh, mountain views on three sides. Um, have a fireplace in there, uh, have that horseshoe desk, and uh, and all the equipment I, I need and want. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't have any excuses. Uh, if I'm there and, and can't get any work done, uh, it's my own fault. So mm-hmm. just, you know, and, and I have to say that's part of the, um, for lack of a better term, spoils of success. Because I, you know, left behind hit and, and gave me the means to do that, I just didn't spare any expense. I wanted to have... Uh, I don't think it's extravagant, but it's it's got everything I need and want there, and and uh, allows me to really do my best work. That's beautiful. Uh, that, yeah, and, and and you know, if anybody deserves it or is worthy, I mean, absolutely, I, I would say you are. So, and you know, why not? I mean, you you've poured so much of your life into this. Uh, you, I think you should have a, a place that is conducive for you to do even more of it. So uh, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, and this leads me to my next question, Mr. Jenkins. Um, and I feel completely comfortable asking you, knowing that you know what a great uh, part of your life your faith is. Um, to what extent do you feel your writing finds its source in God and through prayer? Um, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about that from your point of view. Well, it, it, I really can identify with Dr. Uh, LaHaye on this, in that. Um, you know, I, as a teenager, I felt called to full-time Christian work, and this was after I'd already started as a sports writer. And when I when I felt that call, I was at a camp meeting, and and somebody was speaking on the fact that, you know, every Christian should be a full-time Christian, but some are actually called to make their living also doing Christian work, and uh, and you 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 need to feel called to do that. It's you know, it's not always easy, and and I definitely felt that call, and I remember going forward and committing myself and saying, okay, I'll. I want to be a full-time Christian and a full-time Christian worker. And I thought that probably would mean the end of my sports writing career and that I would have to become a pastor or a missionary. And I didn't feel gifted in those areas. And it was it was a great revelation to me a few years later when I finally you know followed that call for sure and, and was married, was, was a sports writer, and, and realized, okay, now it's time as an adult to, to go into full-time Christian work. 
I realized that that God had actually equipped me before He called me. He equipped me to be mm-hmm. a writer. Uh, again, I had a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn. I mean, I just went to a, a writer's weekend in Los Angeles a few weeks ago, not as a teacher but as a student because I, oh, wow. I tell I tell people so often, you never arrive. You always have to be learning. If you think you've arrived, you're already stagnating and, and declining. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had a lot to learn, but but I had been equipped for that, and, and I think God, God called me to what he'd already equipped me for. And so, um, so everything I write... Um, you know, the, the ultimate goal is to glorify Christ. That's that's. Uh, there are a lot of perks and things that come with it. There's the fun of being recognized. There's the feeling of satisfaction of being able to do something and and uh, to see your name on a book. I, I can't deny that's a thrill even to this day. I, it never gets old. But the point is not me. The point is is Christ, and that's why I'm doing it. If I was if I was in this just for myself or just for money, I'd, I guess I'd be writing porn or whatever, whatever sells. You know. But uh, you know this this is. Uh, this is what I do and why I do it. Wow. I mean, that reminds me of that, that verse in the Psalms where it says, um, do you see a man who excels in what he does? He will not stand before kings. I mean, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And I, I, I think that your life and your work really exemplifies that scripture. Um, and, I, I, you know, to, to hear you say that even now, with all your accomplishments, you're, you're, you're still honing your skills and going as, as a student is mind-boggling, but at the same time, really inspiring and humbling. So I'm so glad you um, shared that, because for me as a writer, uh, I'm, you know, in comparison to you and many others, I'm just at the beginning of my, of my career, but it puts in my mind, long-term, I'm going to be, I will con- always consider myself a student and, and wanting to learn until the day I die. So, yeah, be um, a lifelong learner. My, my mother, my late mother was a great example in that. She was a, a, a piano teacher and a piano hmm. student almost her entire life and uh, that was a great example to me and uh, you know people would say they hear I'm going to this this you know novelist weekend and they would say uh, well is, is are you going to hear anything there that you don't already teach and you don't already know and I said I don't know but uh, when I went I found myself taking copious notes all day long for two days hmm. and as I look back on I'm thinking yeah I guess I knew knew most of the stuff and I teach a lot of it but to, but to get it all in one place at one time, be reminded. It'll inform my writing, and it'll it makes me proactive and say, you know, don't just think this is part of your toolbox. Use it. You know, you've got to to know um, outlining and structure and plotting and characterization and all those things. Uh, we all need to be students. Oh, that's so true. And you remind me of uh, I'm, I'm a musician too, since you uh, mentioned your mother and uh, being a piano instructor. And my teacher's teacher, his name was Leonard Rose. And even after he was a internationally acclaimed concert cellist, he was taking he saw things in um, Felix Galamian, a, a, a Juilliard pedagogue uh, who has just sprung forth many many famous students, including Itzhak Perlman and um, many who are famous today. Um, and he saw something in his students, and he actually went to the summer camp where he taught and took lessons from this violin teacher, uh, even though he himself was a cellist. So you're absolutely right. Lifelong learning. He never. You know, think that you've arrived because there's always more to learn. Is since we're we're humans, and we, you know, um, before we uh, get to the end part of our show, Mr. Jenkins, I wanted to talk a little bit about Jenkins Entertainment because you mentioned that your son is running it for you, and I I just wanted to say I watched the movie What If, and and 
enjoyed it thoroughly. It um, it really resonated about me it, with me. The themes of purpose and destiny, laying your treasures up where thieves do not steal and moths do not destroy. I found that profound and relevant. And I also found John Rassenberger hilarious as I always do. But how did you come up with the premise for that movie? Well, that that was a, uh, a script that my son discovered and um, oh. and showed to me and just said, "Wow, this is this is really something," and I think we'd make something of it. And um, we were at a, a party in Hollywood, and we ran into John Reisenberger, and Dallas had had met him before and and uh, introduced him to me. And Dallas mentioned to him, he says, "I've got a script I want you to read." And Reisenberger said, just out of the blue, he said, "He said, do I get to play an angel?" He says, "I'd like to play Michael the Archangel." And Dallas kind of blanched, and he said, "He said, have you, you haven't seen this script, have you?" And he goes, "No." And he said, "Well, the character is Mike the Angel." And and oh, Ratzenberger says, do, "Ratzenberger says, do I get to 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 fight because I I want to I think a, an angel should be a warrior?" And Dallas said, "Well, he gets to punch the main character twice." And <laughs> Ratzenberger says, "I'm in." And and of course they laughed about it because he had to, he did have to read the script first, but he read the script and called Dallas right away and said this is this is my kind of picture and uh, and then to get Kevin Sorbo uh, the, the Hercules guy from TV to play the man lead I just thought they did a fantastic job on it and I think it's Dallas's best work as a director too. It was wonderful and I especially laughed at the part when he gets to punch uh, Hercules <laughs> twice and gets to yeah. knock him out. <laughs> My, my favorite line in the movie is where where uh, Kevin's the Sor- Kevin Sorbo character is asking Ratzenberger once he's figured out that he really is an angel. He says, "So, what did they send me? Or where, where do you rank? Are you a cherubim or a seraphim or what?" And Ratzenberger says, "Well, the fact that I'm sitting here babysitting you ought to tell you where I rank." <laughs> <laughs> that was clever. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so, um, do you have any other projects uh, in Jenkins Entertainment coming up that you can talk about? Well, um, we think that Riven will be our, our one after next. We we don't oh. want to do Riven too close to What If because What If is so light and funny. It's I mean I think it's meaningful mm-hmm. and poignant, but Riven is going to be a very dark thing and 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 a tough picture. But uh, mm-hmm. Dallas is looking at one right now, and he, and he has just joined the staff of Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. It's a mega church in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, I think they have thirteen thousand people every weekend at five or six campuses, mm-hmm. and uh, they want to make movies every year the way that. Sherwood Baptist in the South makes them like the Remember the Titans and and uh, some of those other ones, um, but um, so we're going to cooperate with them and and do a, a picture of year and, and he's looking at the script right now. Wow, well, that's I'm excited exciting. about Riven coming out. Great. So I well, wanted, um, I wanted to um, ask you one more question um, as to how much do you work with your with your son on these these movies. I mean, it sounds like you do an awful lot with him, and I think that's wonderful that you are um, obviously a, a, a wonderful Christian, a, a true Christian, uh, a wonderful husband and a father, a family man. So how much, how often do you do you work with your son? Well, I look for reasons to get back to Chicago because he's he moved from oh. Hollywood. They, they were in Hollywood for 10 years, and they, they moved to the Chicago suburbs now to be with his church. And with my moody work, you know, we we look for reasons to get back there. He's got he and his wife have three kids, and just next week they're adopting a, a four year old boy from from Bangkok. Oh, and, uh, oh we can't congratulations! Yeah, and and the irony of that is that we've met this boy. Diana and I met this boy in Bangkok uh, in January, and Dallas and Amanda have not met him yet. They've been doing this all long distance, and uh, we got to meet him. And and that's on the blog too. In fact, if you look up uh, We Meet Max, there's pictures of this boy and. 
can't wait to get to get him back here. But I, I do really enjoy working with Dallas. He's he's the expert on the movie side, and he's really really brilliant as a director. Um, what what gratifies me, of course, my part is I I basically pay for these movies, so they call me executive producer. But um, uh-huh. what what I enjoy is is when Dallas will have a, a point in the script, and he'll say, Dad, we've got got the character here and we need to get him to this point but we we don't have some you know piece of action that needs to happen and that's sort of what I do I mean story is my my thing and so I'll read where where they've got to and where they want to go and and maybe maybe write a little scene uh, in what if uh, the the one part I'm proud of that was my idea was uh, at the very end where where she gets on the bus to leave and then uh-huh. uh comes back I said make make the angel the bus driver and uh, and so you know that his bus comes back and and he he gives a salute to Sorbo and and, and uh, it, it didn't make much sense I suppose in the story but it it uh, was a fun moment and the and audience has always reacted to it so oh, that's I totally bought that moment I loved it yeah. <laughs> well thank you again for joining us we need to let you go we know you're very very busy and we just think it's very special that you joined us today um, it's quite an honor uh, it we're, we're humbled. So um, thank you, Mr. Jenkins, for joining us on Dialogue Between the Lines. Oh, great great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. You take care now. Okay, bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. So, wow, he's quite an amazing man and uh, an author, and um, anybody that has just joined in and hasn't caught his website, it's www.jerryjenkins.com, and... and, uh, um, he's trying to get back to Chicago right now to see his son and new grandson, so that's amazing. So, what a what a nice tidbit of information there. And he's a truly humble man because um, mm-hmm. he, as, and you know I think the humility also comes with it, it's not what people think of humility, where it's like oh false modesty, weakness. He's a very strong man and very confident in all his accomplishments. If you'll notice, if you're listening back. He never really had to promote anything himself. He knows what he's accomplished and what he has. It's always us mentioning it, and then he'll talk about it. So I, I love that because um, you know here's a man who has done so much. He does it for the glory of God, and he's been rewarded uh, appropriately. And you know, but what what I think if you don't know Jerry Jenkins from reading his bio and website is that based on just our speaking with him today, he sounds incredibly impressive. But beyond that, he's even more impressive with all the honorary doctorates and all the, uh, if you just look at his list of books that he's written, the 175 books, I don't think it's all on the website, but just like maybe about 20 of them were written in the past 10 years or so. Um, and he's been writing since, what, since he was 14? So yeah, um, I'm thoroughly impressed and, and inspired I am too. by him. And again, I'm impressed with with his kindness and his uh, genuineness, and and the fact that he's just and I'm not going to say a regular Joe because I do not think that at all. <laughs> but he, he's, <laughs> he's very an extraordinary kind. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and just a, a a sweet and and caring individual. Um, so we're we're very honored that he joined us today. Um, but you know, Joshua, I was wondering, you have some uh, amazing things that have happened lately with you um i know you're in your in your career as an author of course but also um with your wife and and her um business is that something that you want to talk about briefly or um, sure i don't mind talking about that at all um, 
it's That'd kind of great. encompassed my life uh, recently. It's, it's some of my Facebook Facebook fans see me putting up pictures of like uh, floors that with tiles ripped up and demolished and 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 loading them up into wheelbarrows, and um, that's pretty much taken up the past couple of years of my not years. <laughs> it feels like that uh, the past couple of months, <laughs> especially uh, weeks recently, because we're uh, the school that my wife founded and and ran and runs. Uh, is actually expanding and moving to a larger facility. But, of course, you know, times are such that we need to be frugal. We can't hire people to do things that we could do ourselves. So um, my wife and I were just up last night until about 10 o'clock with our kids laying down flooring uh, in the room. And, yes, we were exhausted, but, you know, it reminded us we have uh, actually partnered together in, in running businesses a couple of times in our lives. And, uh, each time we, we come back to the time where we're in the new facility, cleaning up late at night with our kids, um, rather than feeling like, even though we do feel tired, rather than getting all, um, oh, this is such hard work, we, we feel inspired, we feel grateful that um, <clears throat> that by God's grace we're, we're able to, we get to do this. And the most important thing about my, what I think my wife does, which is so wonderful, is that um, she provides this really great uh, school for for our children from toddler up to elementary school, and the, these kids are amazing. They actually, um, they're reading full sentences in books that from like sometimes as young as three years old or, or even younger. Yeah. And my my daughter who goes to this school, uh, it's only in second grade that she's already doing algebra. <laughs> I was like, I didn't oh, learn wow. algebra until seventh grade, but she's she's doing all the equations, explaining to me how she does it, and it's like, wow. So uh, not only that, uh, they just uh, have a love for learning and confidence. So anyway, I, I'm kind of going on about that, but that's what has been taking up my life in, in recently, even though I, my fingers keep itching to go back to the keyboard and, and write the next uh, novel. Um, but in terms of the books and all that, uh, I'm, I'm starting to ramp up and get ready to uh, start some uh, – I, I don't know if we can call it a publicity campaign because it it's not that quite. But uh, I, I'm, I want to start leaking a little bit more information about my book, Dark Room, which is coming up uh, in May 2012 by Simon & Schuster under the Howard Books imprint. So if you watch my Facebook profile, if you watch my uh, website and blog, you might see little hints about Dark Room coming up. And I, and, um, I won't say anything more about it because I, I just want you to keep your eyes open for it. It'll be subtle, and then as we get closer to the book coming out, it'll become a lot more uh, detailed. So um, if, if you follow what I'm doing at all online, just keep your eye out for that. But Susan, you just came back from this incredible TV interview. Uh, could you tell us about that? Yeah, it was really fun. Um, it was a it was a one of the blow by type of um, uh, promotional things that I am good at doing lately. <laughs> um, it, it's a drive that's about six hours to um, Oregon City uh, from where I live, and um, and then I stayed overnight, which was smart, <laughs> and then did the yeah. interview the next day, and then drove home. Um, the interview is uh, called Authors Forum with uh, Veronica Esegui. Um, she uh, is also uh, has uh, writing under the, the name Veronica Hansen. But um, she is uh, she's just a fabulous interviewer. And while I was sitting there, I was thinking, she's just so good at this <laughs> um, mm. because we do the radio show. And so I was thinking, oh, my goodness, if I could only get to that uh, level of, 
of being able to speak off the cuff. Of course, she she did have her her questions, you know, outlined and everything, and which was all very smart of her. And but she just came off so naturally. And um, Authors mm-hmm. Forum is a is a local television station, and um, it it is broadcast, I I guess, via cable in. Um, Oregon and Washington, uh, um, mm-hmm. they they broadcast the show uh, three times a week in um, oh I'm going to say West Lynn and then in Oregon City and Portland they broadcast um, five times a week if I'm not mistaken. But the but the interview won't be out for another month or so at, while they're editing it and all of that. Once it is, I'll let everybody know and um, and I'll have. Uh, pieces of it, little snippets mm-hmm. up on YouTube and on my website and that sort of thing. But it was just a load of fun. I mean, it's always good to to meet new people. And, and it was a precursor, actually. The interview was a precursor to their big event, which is the Northwest Book Festival, and that's happening July right. 30th. So they're doing all of these um, interviews with some of the authors that will be there to um, promote the Northwest Book Festival on July 30th at the Portland Pioneer Square, which is going to be a ball. I'm really looking forward to it. And I met a couple of the people that are going to be there um, yesterday. So, uh, or what? It wasn't yesterday. It was the day before. I'm I'm losing time. I think. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, it's been. It was a lot of fun. I had a good time, and um, it's always uh, a little odd to do film interviews. I did one like in at the BEA at the Book Expo in New York with Brian Felson oh, from really? BookBaby dot yeah from BookBaby dot com. So I did a, a a video interview there, and that is also being um, edited. That will be out soon. But um, it you know the I have done several interviews, um, mostly uh, radio, um, and then you know public speaking types of things. I've only done I think three if i'm not mistaken three uh filmed interviews so but they're they're fun they're different it, the only problem with them that i you know for me is that you have to wear makeup and <laughs> i hate wearing makeup <laughs> so so that was the only real issue with uh those but lots of fun and good meeting people and and you know it's a, it's good experience i think yeah, oh, certainly, and you know, um, we really look forward to seeing it, it, whether it be like a YouTube clip or or even live. So definitely, let us know about that. I will, I will, oh. and um, and I'm and we're getting down to the wire again on our show. Um, again, we we're just so thankful to have um, Mr. Jerry Jenkins on on the show, and um, mm. and we're. Uh, happy to have you listening and very honored that you're with us as well. And um, next week we're going to be hosting Anthony Flacco, um, an amazing fiction author on Dialogue Between the Lines. I'm looking forward to that. Um, anyway, for, he's a return guest, isn't he? He's a return guest. He saved, our, our, uh, he saved us one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> But he's an amazing guy. Just he's always there uh, for people, and just a super sweet man and an incredible author. Um, but um, again, we're wrapping up. And for dialogue between the lines, um, this is Susan Wingate and my wonderful co-host Joshua Graham. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.